Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the character and the personality of Jesus. And I, I hope you've been intrigued. I hope you've been drawn. And this morning, what I want to talk about is that, that Jesus was a free man. Jesus was free of, of pretense. Jesus was free to be honest. Jesus was free to, to allow his personality to be everything from playful to sarcastic from fierce to passionate, from angry to tender. I mean, he had it all. And and in this freedom, Jesus was free to love and to serve. You go back to John chapter 13. You watch Jesus washing those disciples' feet. The Bible says that Jesus wanted there to prove the full extent of his love to his very betrayer, to the one that would deny him, To the one that would doubt him, Jesus was free to love and to serve and to give. Now, why was Jesus so free? What gave him this freedom? I'll tell you, I think a lot of it has to do is that Jesus was not controlled by what people thought about him. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus was free of preoccupation with self. He wasn't so into himself and what people thought about him that he was not free to be whoever he needed to be. In John chapter 13, the reason he can wash those feet, the reason he can love the unlovable is because Jesus was secure in his relationship with God. He knew he was loved by God. He knew he had come from God and he was going to God. And my friends, for us to have this kind of freedom, we've got to be secure in our relationship with God that will help us get over our preoccupation with self. You see, for Jesus, it didn't bother him that Peter was embarrassed when he washed those feet. Uh, Peter thought it was absolutely preposterous that God would get on his knees to wash the feet of sinners, but Jesus didn't care. He didn't care when the local preachers would kick him out of the synagogue because he'd healed someone on the Sabbath. He didn't care, actually, when the leaders called him the devil himself. He was free of self because he was secure with his father. Now, all of us know, I think we do, that deep down our biggest problem is dealing with ourself. Someone has said that that sin is always the choice of self over God. I choose myself before I choose obedience to God. It's hard for us to get over ourselves. Why do you get mad? Because someone has done something to you that you don't like. Why are you frustrated? Because someone has interrupted your schedule. Why are you jealous? Because somebody has more than you do. Why are you insecure? Because your opinion of yourself has been determined by someone else's opinion who's not so high on you. Yes, sin is the choice of self over God. Now, in our culture today, it's really easy to see how we've gotten to that point. Today, if if my message doesn't make sense to you, I I want to encourage you to read a book that's really the basis of this message. It's a book by Timothy Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. 
I think our book club here actually has studied that. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. And Keller explains how culture has changed so much over the last few decades and centuries. It used to believe that we believed the cause of evil was that people had too high a sense of self. They had too high of an opinion of their self. That when people were abusive to their children, or people were ugly to their wife, or someone was locked up as a criminal, the ancient idea was they thought too much of themselves. And that was the basic root of sin and the problems in the world was too high a view of self. Now we know that we've really changed that now and we think it's because a person has too low a view of themselves, all right? Everything goes back nowadays to self-esteem. If the man beat his wife, it's because he really doesn't feel good about himself. If the man's a criminal and in prison, it's because he's insecure about himself. And so we've gone so far from thinking the cause of evil is someone's too puffed up and arrogant about themselves, that's the reason they do that, to all the way over here now that we're into this this self-esteem deal that people don't feel good enough about themselves. There was an interesting article in the New York Times by a psychologist named Lauren Slater, and she wrote it called The Trouble with Self-Esteem. And the significant thing she said is every study says there's no evidence that low self-esteem is the major problem in our country. And here's her conclusion. People with high self-esteem pose a greater threat to those around them than people with low self-esteem. And feeling bad about yourself is not the source of our country's biggest and most expensive social problems. You see, now our whole educational and rehabilitation process is based around we've got to help somebody feel better about themselves. Now, honestly, I think Jesus has got problems with both trying to think too highly of yourself and trying to think too lowly of yourself. I, I think Jesus understands that the problem with both of those approaches to change is they're both self-absorbed. They're both centered on self. Whether it is I need to prop myself up and build myself up or I need to put myself down. I I like an old uh, missionary, E. Stanley Jones of another century, who's a missionary to India, wrote some great books. And one of his famous quotations is this. To be centered on self is miserable. And to be centered on self will lead you down a road of sadness. The most used word in hell is the word I. And to be centered on self today is to be in hell today. Jesus understood that. And so Jesus gives us the answer to our our preoccupation with ourself. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And then he says the most ironic thing. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What's he saying there? Jesus says, you need to follow me. Here's the way I lived. My friends, when Jesus got on the cross, or when Jesus got on his knees and washed feet, this was not an exception to his character. It was his character. 
He was so free of self that he was free to love and to serve anybody he was around, whatever they might think of him. And, and so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, here's what you've got to do. You've got to deny yourself. Now, for years, I read that, and I thought there was a blank afterwards. You've got to deny yourself a new car, or deny yourself new clothes, or deny yourself the house. That's not what he said. He didn't say deny yourself something. He says what you must do to have victory in this life is you must deny yourself. What does that mean? What did it mean when Peter denied Jesus? He said, I don't know him. To deny yourself means you have made a decision that you are not the center of the universe. That you are not the big issue of, the, of life. And Jesus, here's the crazy thing, here's the paradox. When you deny yourself, when you lose your life, when you give up on you, that's when you find life. And when you try to prop yourself up and feel good about you is when you lose life. We've all experienced that. The most miserable days in our life are those days when we are totally preoccupied with how somebody treated me, if someone was not as uh, nice to me as they should have been, someone not speak to me, someone do me wrong, that, that I get so preoccupied with self, I become miserable. In our best days, our best days are the days we lose ourselves in the presence of God, and in the service of people. It's our best days. Jesus' answer is difficult, but it's absolutely correct. You want to live life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. What's he saying with take up your cross? Kill yourself. Get over yourself. And then you'll have absolute freedom. Now, there's a great scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, that I've never noticed till reading that book I mentioned where Paul really shows how you reflect that in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 21. We're, we're, the church at Corinth was a church with people full of themselves. They were proud. They were arrogant. One group would eat the Lord's Supper in one place. Another group would eat the Lord's Supper over here because they thought they were better than the other people. There had been some great preachers who'd come through Corinth. There was Paul, the great intellectual preacher. There was Peter, the passionate preacher. There was Apollos, the eloquent preacher. They'd had all these different preachers, and now they had built this pride around who had led them to the Lord and who had discipled them. So one group says, you know, I'm better than you because I'm Paul's disciple. In other words, no, I'm telling you, Paul didn't speak very well, but Apollos was very eloquent. I'm better than you because I was Apollos' disciple. And they're all arguing. And it's causing division in the church. And Paul says, here's what we need to get to. Verse 21. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Don't think we're that big a deal. Now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. Listen to this. I care very little if I'm judged by you. Or by any other human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. And then listen to this next verse, which is so unusual. 
Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each of you will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying. Do not go beyond that which is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us against the other. For who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now, for the rest of the message, here's what we're going to do. There's three key words I see here. And then there's three declarations that we need to make if we're going to truly be free. The first key word is the word pride. Now, in this passage, Paul uses a very unusual word for the word pride. It's not the normal hubris word for pride. In fact, here's what it means. Overinflated, swollen, distorted beyond its proper size. Now, pride here is being puffed up. Now, the problem with it, though, is it's, it's empty. This part of you has become puffed up, but within it, there's an emptiness about it. You see, what we're trying to do every time we're prideful is we're trying to put ourselves in the place of God. And the problem is that God-shaped void in you, if you try to fill it with yourself, it's going to be empty. But not only that, it's very obvious here, he's talking about parts of your body that are extended, that are swollen. You ever maybe had a bug bite, you know, that that made your arm just swell up way beyond its normal proportions? There's something painful about that. And it's very painful when you begin to have this kind of pride in in yourself because you're stretched beyond who you are. And then it's, it's very busy. Because here was the problem in Corinth, and here's our problem. They got busy comparing each other and boasting about what they had done or whose disciple they were. C.S. Lewis says the problem of pride is a problem of competitiveness. That at the heart of pride is that we are competing with other people, trying to prove ourselves better. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that we're proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If anyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. You get that? It's a, it's a comparison. Remember back when you were in school. Let's say you were taking a really difficult course. Let's say you were taking a course in chemistry, biology, and you weren't real strong in it. And the teacher gave the papers back. And you had not been doing very well, but you actually made an 84. Anybody here would have been pleased with an 84 in biology or chemistry? Raise your hand, all right? Some of you have been absolutely thrilled with an 84, right? And, and so you've got your paper back, and you're looking at it, and you are so thrilled. You've never made this high grade. And then the teacher stands up in front of the class and says, Class, I am so proud of you. You've done better on this test than any other class I've ever had. In fact, the lowest grade in the class was a 84. 
Now how do you feel? You don't feel very good. Because it's all about comparison. Pride is about comparison. It's about who did the best job. Who looks the best. You know, I was reading um, or watching an ESPN show this, this week about the World Cup. And they were talking about how the kids in Brazil are so into soccer now. It's just gone to a whole new life. They've always been into it. But now there's so many people looking for talent. And they say what's happened to the kids is if they can't be the very best, they don't think it's worth playing. There's so much pressure, so much money out there, that now just to be a good soccer player is not enough. If you're not the very best, you're not free to go enjoy the game. And we're all like that, aren't we? I tell you what happens with preachers at a conference is you go to a conference to speak at a conference, you know this, everybody's comparing all the speakers. You ever done that? Go ahead and be honest about it. And you're going to get in your car and you're going to say, well, I really thought he was the best. Or I thought he was the best. And that's a terrible place to be. Because you start comparing yourselves to people. I'll never forget speaking at a youth rally one time years ago in New Orleans. And there was a, a little teenager who came to me afterwards and says, I have heard four speakers in my life. And you're one of the top four. I don't know that you made me feel better that way. You know what I'm saying? We all are into this kind of comparison game. And that's where pride comes from. Because I can't just be happy with who God's created me. I've got to compare myself who may have a gift I don't have or may have more of a gift I do have. And so what we need is to get beyond pride. And another key word is the word humility. And I love this definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. You see, we, we, we think of humility as being the opposite of pride. So we think pride is being puffed up with yourself. And we think of humility as being putting yourself down. So the, the, the humble person in our culture is the person who grovels and complains and always critiques themselves and always tells you how they blew it. That's not the humble person in the Bible. Gospel humility has a sense of confidence about it, but its confidence is not in itself, it's in God. And it's not the person who comes over here and thinks less of themselves, it's the person who thinks of themselves less. Humility in the Bible is to be free of yourself. It's a, it's a powerful thing. And if you meet a humble person, a truly Bible kind of humble person, you wouldn't meet them in the conversation go, you know, I'm really pitiful and I couldn't do this and I blew this the other day. And I'm, you, you wouldn't walk away from that conversation and think, oh my goodness, boy, this person is so down on themselves. You would walk away from that conversation. You know what happened in that conversation? This person would not talk about themselves. You would walk away from that conversation thinking, I've never talked to someone who listened so well. I've never talked to someone who was so concerned with what I said. That's the humble person. It's not putting yourself down. It's just not thinking about yourself. And then one more word that we found in this passage that's so incredibly important is the word judge, which you know what it means. It's to render a verdict. And did you hear what Paul says? I don't care if you judge me. I don't care if I judge me. 
I'm not concerned about that. My brothers and sisters, so many of us live from day to day with everything we do. We are judging ourselves or we're held hostage by other people judging us. Oh, if I stepped out and said this, what would they think? If I did this at work, who would critique me? If I really stepped out in church and, be, and became a leader, who would go, you know what, you're not doing a very good job. I, I love this quotation found in the book I referred to. It, it's from a, an, an article about Madonna actually in Vogue magazine. And listen to what she says. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. Now give Madonna an A for introspection. She's a lot more introspective than a lot of us. But she nails it on the head how many of us live. We live from one event to the next being judged. Okay, you completed that project at work and it was awesome. You hit that home run on the ball field and you feel great. The sermon today goes really good. But then you live in the fear of the next project of the next ball game that Sunday comes every week. And so you live in this this fear and this insecurity that you've got to prove yourself to people over and over again. You crave that approval and it drives you so you become hostage to the people around you. And that brings us to these three declarations three important declarations that Paul makes in this passage that you need to make in your life. We talk about Independence Day in our country. I'm telling you, the greatest independence that you and I need is an independence from ourself. Let me me give you these three declarations. Number one, I don't care what you think of me. Say that with me. I don't care what you think of me. Say it like you mean it. I don't care what you think of me. Paul said that to these people. I'm not really too concerned of how you judge me. I can't live up to everybody's standards around me. I never could, I never will. And I'm not going to become preoccupied in my life with what everybody else in the world thinks about me. I'm telling you what happens then, you become hostage and you become paralyzed. Number two. I don't even care what I think of me. I don't care what I think of me. Say that with me. I don't care what I think of me. Paul says the most unusual thing in this passage. I do not judge myself. Many of us, our problem is not that everybody else around us is judging us. Our problem is that we judge our performance every day. And some days we come up looking good and some days we come up short. Listen to what Paul says. My conscience is clear. That'd be a great place to be. My conscience is clean. But you know what Paul said in the next line? But that does not mean I'm innocent. So Paul, how in the world can you have a clear conscience and not be innocent? 
Now listen before we go on to the next point. Paul says, I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me. I actually have a very low opinion of my opinion of me. And that brings us to number three. I do care what God thinks of me. Say that with me. I do care what God thinks of me. That's what matters. That's why Jesus could be so free to serve. Because he knew that he and the Father were one. He knew he was secure in his relationship with God. And therefore, who cares if Peter thinks me washing feet is preposterous? Who cares if people get all angry because I throw somebody out, I heal somebody on the Sabbath day? Who cares if they don't like my teaching? I'm confident in God. And guys, this is true freedom. Misery is being worried about what people think of you. Or even what you think of you. Joy is being free of that. Let's illustrate that. You go in your office tomorrow morning. And you go in your office worried about what people think about you. Remembering every slight, every criticism you've ever received. You walk in there thinking, how are they going to treat me? How are they going to talk to me? Am I going to get the bonus I deserve? Am I going to get the promotion I think I deserve? I remember what so-and-so said to me five years ago that hurt my feelings. And you go in that office, man, and you just get in your little cave, and you protect yourself, and you're miserable because it's all about you. But you walk in that office tomorrow going, you know what? I don't care what they think about me. I don't really even care what I think about me. What I care is what God thinks about me. And you know what? I can let go of every little hurt and every little criticism every time I've been passed over by somebody else. And I am free from God to go in that office and love people and serve people and encourage people who may have never encouraged me a day in my life. Listen to me. That's freedom and that's joy. It's miserable to sit wondering about all these things. It is absolutely joyful to be free of all of that because you know you've got that relationship with God. You care about that. It's miserable to come to church this morning thinking, who speaks to me, who doesn't speak to me? It's joyful when you've come here to minister in the name of God out of your security in Him. So how, how do you get there? How is that possible? Here's the good news, all right, guys? Here's the really good news. The verdict is in. You see, the reason you don't have to go on trial every day is because Jesus went on trial for you. Jesus was tried by a kangaroo court. He never protested. He was completely innocent of being judged. Why did he go through that? He went through that because so you and I don't have to go through the trial of life every day being judged by others or judged by ourselves. You see, because Jesus was perfect and Jesus took the judgment on himself, Jesus was labeled guilty. You and I, the good news says, are labeled not guilty. I want you to know this morning that the verdict is in. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean you're perfect? Read chapter 7. Paul was far from perfect. It simply means that Jesus' perfect performance, 
Jesus performed perfectly, is now attributed to us. Isn't that awesome? And therefore, you don't have to go out every day trying to perform, as Madonna would say, trying to prove yourself all over again, because here's what happens, guys, is the verdict leads to the performance. This is what makes the Christian theology different than any other religion. In every other religion, your performance leads to the verdict. If you're a Buddhist or a Muslim, if you behave good enough, then you're okay. Christianity is just the opposite. You are okay because of the blood of Jesus. You have been declared innocent because of what Jesus did. When God looks at you, he sees you're perfect. And out of that confidence, you perform. Out of that confidence, you love. Out of that confidence, you serve. Out of that confidence, you speak. Out of that confidence, you're fully alive. You're free to laugh and to love and to serve and to speak. Wouldn't you like to live that way? Wouldn't you love to live that way? That's freedom. You need to make those declarations. Two of them are declarations of independence. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what I think about me. But you need to make the third declaration, which is a declaration of dependence. I do care about what God thinks about me and who I'm dependent on for their opinion of me is God. And out of that, I'm over myself. That's my challenge as we close this message today. Guys, many of us, our biggest sin is not that we're out smoking dope or that we're out committing adultery or we're stealing from the company. Our biggest problem is we're selfish. And we're so full of ourselves that we're paralyzed. And what probably needs to happen in this church is that many of us need to repent, change our mind about ourselves. My challenge to you to conclude this message is, you need to get over yourself. Because as long as you're focused on that, you're going to be miserable. You need to get over yourself. But here's the last point. But you need to never get over Jesus. He took the trial for you. He took the judgment. He took the verdict. And therefore, you are innocent if you've accepted his grace. And you are free to get over yourself. So today, let me say to you, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and today you'd like to do that, why don't you come? Or or today, you've done that, but like so many of us, you get wrapped around the axle about yourself And you become so sensitive to everything around you and who treats you and who doesn't speak to you. And you're so afraid to step out for God because they may not like it. Or you're so afraid to lead your family because they might buck you. Or you're so afraid to to be bold and be a leader in this church because there might be somebody that's, that's more talented than you. And I'm saying, no, 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 I think Jesus is saying, get over yourself, but don't get over me. Accept me. Let me be your confidence. Let me be your security. And then you're free. You're free. Free indeed to give and love and serve and speak and be bold. To be playful. To laugh. 
to be sarcastic, to be intense, to be passionate. All the things Jesus was because of that freedom. If you need that freedom today, why don't you come while we stand together and sing?